0: On this episode of AV Week, we look back at 2016, what were the most downloaded and listened to shows, some of the highlights and lowlights of 2016, everything from AMX's security issues to a ton of mergers and acquisitions, all that and more, next on AV Week.
1: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. 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 Is, is AV, AV Nation. Nation.
0: This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Atlas, IED. This is AV Week. Episode 278, recorded Friday, December 23rd, 2016. The Best of 2016. Ready. AV AV Week. Performing scan week. Online. This is A.V. Week.
2: AV. A.V. Week.
0: This is A.V. Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio, visual news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am the host and producer, also founder of A.V. Nation. Thank you so much for listening. This episode uh, we typically do around Christmas time simply because... All of you and all of us are getting ready for the holidays. Whichever holiday you celebrate, we want to wish you a very happy holidays. Uh, What we do is we take a look at at our most downloaded shows. So whichever ones you, our wonderful audience, uh, who continues to come back week after week, uh, whichever ones you guys download the most, we look back and say, okay, which part of those episodes made those so so popular so uh, some of them range everywhere from um, some security issues earlier in the year to tons of mergers and acquisitions first episode we're going to look at was the week we found out about some of the security issues that Ars Technica had with AMX it's not very often that we get this (laughs) holy crap ginormous story in AV and we have one this week Um, uh, AMX all right so this story uh, first appeared on Iris Technica, so that's the one I'm going to use. Um, AMX, according to them, and according to the security uh, consulting firm SEC Consult, uh, said they discover, discovered a backdoor after analyzing the AMX NX one two zero zero, the AMX NX twelve hundred. Uh, it's a Netlinks product. Okay, and and uh, short version of this story: basically, uh, SEC Consult found a couple of different backdoors that. Uh, first of all, the, the the backdoor login and and, and uh, was not made available. If you tried to, to search for all of the um, available logins, uh, it would not show up on that list. So it was a hidden backdoor. It was a hidden username. Um, and they're making our technica is making hay. CNN money is making hay uh, because AMX has a large presence in in government. Department of Justice, Department of Defense, the White House—actually, the, the the War Room down in in the White House uh, has an AMX uh, processor and AMX touch panel in it. Uh, the the story on on uh, on CNN Money says uh, the title is "Hackers Could Secretly Tap Into Corporate Meetings," and the picture I'll bring it up here for those of you watching on video. The picture is actually a, a picture of uh, the President, uh, President Obama, uh, sitting along with Joe Biden and a bunch of others. And it's grayed out except for the nice red circle over the AMX touch panel. So let's just say this wasn't a great PR week for AMX. <laughs> um, we've got friends at AMX. We've, we've known them for a long time. Great folks. Great group of folks down in, in Texas. Uh, last year, they were purchased by Harmon. Uh, for those of you who keep, who keep track of this sort of things, uh, Harman is only down $2 uh, on trading. So it's not exactly like it's, oh, my gosh, it's the end of the world and everybody's selling off Harman stock. So, doing what we do and, and trying to be as responsible as you know as we can, uh, we reached out to AMX, uh, reached out to, to Harmon, uh, and this is what we got um, from uh, Sean Robinson, uh, who is uh, who's who's taken over for Joe Jewellis there uh, at AMX. Um, Sean is uh, now the director and CEG of Solutions and Marketing. Uh, this is their official uh, media statement, I guess, is, is is what they've given us here. Uh, in addition to that, they also provided this with the letter that they sent out to integrators, uh, which we'll make available as well. Uh, but this is their, their statement. Um, unquote. Let me make sure I get this right. Uh, first, we want to clarify um, uh, the risks and terms being discussed. Black Widow was an internal name for a legacy diagnostic and maintenance login for customer support of technical issues commonly used in legacy systems. It was not a quote-unquote hidden, as suggested, nor did it provide access to customer information. While such a login is useful for diagnostics and maintenance, during our routine security review in the summer of 2015, we determined that it would be prudent to eliminate this feature as part of a comprehensive software update. We informed our customers, and the update was deployed in December 2015. The 1MB, the one that looks like Batman, uh, login was an entirely different internal feature that allowed internal system devices to communicate. It was not an external login, nor was it accessible from outside of the product. The Batman internal sy- uh, system device capability was also was not related to, nor was it a repl- replacement for Black Widow, which was the name of the other login. Uh, the only connection was the fact that our software update in December eliminated Black Widow and updated it to, to Batman. In terms of the names, those were lighthearted internal uh, project names that our programmers used uh, with no intent or meaning. We take security very seriously and are continuously testing our own systems and capabilities and developing more sophisticated updates. End quote. All right. So there's Harmon's position. There's our testing and and the security. That's where where we sit right here right now from all that we know. Um, A couple of issues that I've gotten and we'll get you you guys' things. Uh, if this is true, uh, the the whole backdoor thing and the and the the login and the password, I get it. Programmers are geeks, right? They they're they're going to name them silly things. Uh, I don't have an issue with that. Ars Technica probably does, but but you know whatever. They need to get a sense of humor. Um, it's a firmware update, okay? And God love them, not just AMX, but every other manufacturer on the planet. You give me a firmware update for no particular reason, I'm probably not going to update it right what's the old thing you don't you don't update firmware on friday because god help you you're probably gonna break something right um the other thing is you're going to have a number of people who can't get back into their clients to update this software we're talking about the freaking white house it's not like i can call up michelle obama and say hey can i swing by for a second i've got to update your you can't do that right um so those are my only two biggest concerns with with harman's statement my concerns with, with Ars Technica and the security company is, um, you know, I, I think I think personally they're making a, a lot out of nothing, especially according to Harmon. The Batman one was not external. You could, you could not get in from the outside. I don't know whether or not you could. I don't, I don't have that product and, and can't verify one way or the other. All right. So there's where we are. Those are my statements. Mr. Tucker, we'll start with you. How big of a deal is this?
3: Well, I guess it's all perception, isn't it? Uh, if you're really scared about any kind of backdoor entry into a system that's supposed to be secure, this is troublesome, especially when you don't know about it. Uh, the worst thing to fear is the thing that you do not know. And I think that's a lot of what's happening here. I mean, having worked for a manufacturer, there are lots of parts of those boards that probably have access for the engineers. So when they get them, they can diagnose them quickly and get internal information. Uh, are most of those accessible to the common person? No, and would you have to tap in directly? Yes, but we're talking about government agencies, we're talking about military knock centers for you know emergency services or in the light of some national emergency, right? So I think that's where the paranoia is coming from, fueled further by that there seemed to have been no real public response for people. Uh, when Ars Technica picked it up, you figure, okay, niche market. When I think Gizmodo mentioned it, it was on Reddit at, at, very quickly. Uh, some friends sent it to me, uh, but when CNN money picks it up, it's because there's a natural fear with everything we know about the modern world that it's dangerous, right? Uh, so I think that's really what, where it's from, and it was just the not-knowing. But as we'll probably cover, and I spoke with Dave Danto today, who, who couldn't actually make it to be with us to talk a little bit about this, but this is the common problem, the IoT stuff that I think even Melissa can talk about, where what are the back doors and what do we need to fear and how far do they go if we don't know we fear them
0: all right so good good segue there melissa from from your standpoint um as someone who works for a manufacturer how big of a deal would this would this be
1: well i think um you know, obviously i work in the technology side so um i have nothing to do with our products or or how they're manufactured i'm clearly just education but for me, um, I think that, that this is very concerning. I think uh, Harman's probably, or AMX probably, um, they just got, they got picked on, they got caught. Uh, I imagine that we'll find there are lots of backdoors and a lot of products out there, and that's the part that's the most alarming. I think the other thing that's alarming is notice how quickly we've jumped on the manufacturer and not the IT division. Nobody's talking about the lack of security within the IT network. It's look at the weakest point, which right now they're showing to be this product. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that with the introduction of IoT or IOE. Um, We are a pretty weak link overall because we're not talking about it. We're not educating people about it yet. We need to get on the bandwagon. We need to be aware of can our products be secure? And how do we make them secure? Um, this is a great opportunity for our integrators, for for the teams out there, um, to offer another value added service to their, to their menu of offerings. But we've got to be educated, we've got to get better aware of how these devices are working on these networks.
0: 2016 was a pretty good year if you were Control 4. Uh, not only did they have the announcement at Cedia that they were able to connect with Alexa, but also had a significant Acquisition earlier on in the year, where they picked up Pack Edge. This, this, <laughs> this is a rumor that was starting um, probably about a month or so ago. And if you're watching the screen, I'll, I'll throw this story up here. Um, so about a month or so ago, I got two different phone calls from folks, and neither one like would confirm or be on the record. So there was no point in, in writing a story about it. Um, that hey, uh, Control Four might be buying somebody, right? And then it was somebody, part of that was also that somebody might be buying Control 4, but that obviously was not the case. Uh, And suddenly, uh, out of nowhere, I guess is the best way to put this, um, yesterday, uh, a bunch of folks in the media and on the Twitterverse and on the Facebooks got this announcement. Control 4 acquiring Pack Edge device and software a leader in advanced home networking this is obviously a, a press release um, but here's the thing guys it, it, it was it, it was it, I'm not gonna say it was shocking right uh, first of all control 4 is a publicly traded company right uh, so there's a couple of ways that you can keep investors happy and and, and and people who own your stock happy one is to grow uh, through um, market share in the set. another way is to grow is another way to grow is through acquisition right uh, mark we're gonna kick it off with you here what does this say about Control 4, and, and, and is this a, a good move on their part?
4: Uh, I think it's a good move. I mean, Control 4 uses a, a variety of different technologies, obviously, to control things within the house. You know, they use some ZigBee protocol or Z-Wave. Um, they're compatible, obviously, with Wi-Fi. Their devices on the network. Um, you know, they just came out with two new uh, controllers for the home, got rid of their old stuff. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. I think it helps them manage devices remotely better if they obviously if they have a, a window into the network and they can control that network a little better. Um, it gives them, I guess, an advantage over somebody like Savant that's maybe not selling that switch and those Wi-Fi routers and has a chance to manage that through the home control system, right? So, uh, I was a Control4 dealer in Arizona for quite a few years, so I might be a little partial to that. For me, this was a little surprising only because. You know, kind of the rumor in the space for a long time was Control4 wasn't in this business for the long haul. That they really just wanted to build a business to sell, um, and to see them putting money into another business and making their business bigger, I think may go a little ways to kind of dispel that rumor that they're not here to build uh, a new control company, but just to be acquired by someone else.
0: That's a really good point, dude. Is the fact that you because you're right. Um, th- there was a, that was one of the rumors, especially when they went public, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That was one of the one of the. People who were who were against them going public were like, well, you know, they're just trying to, you know, make a not not make a quick buck because nobody in this business makes a quick buck buck. So, uh, Mr. Cordell, from from your standpoint, what does this mean Um, from a control standpoint also is from a business standpoint?
5: Yeah, uh, you know, I think Mark hit on it in terms of being able to remote in. I mean, that's, you know, having that window into the network is is a huge plus that uh, that edge really did beautifully and elegantly uh so i think it's a huge win for control four and uh you know if they're looking to get bought by somebody maybe uh maybe crestron would buy them so they could come out to see you who knows <laughs> oh, <laughs> sort of show. Wow. just saying too easy too easy All right. um from a business standpoint you're absolutely right though acquisitions and mergers man is, is uh you know that's something that, that you got to keep an eye out for and it's an excellent way to to diversify your uh, your product offerings, and so I think that's this is like a match made in heaven that puts them ahead of uh, you know all the other control manufacturers that don't have that leg up from the networking standpoint, because as we all know, you know everything's on the network now, and more devices are are you know piling on by the day, so.
0: Well, let's let's get a, let's get a network uh, uh, expert on, uh, Mister Zili <laughs> the, the, Both of these guys have made really good points about this giving Control Four a leg up when it comes to networking stuff. Um, does it? Was this was this a good move on their part?
2: I think in the market that Control Four lives in, which is which is the home market, um, it's absolutely a um, good uh, um, move because for their stuff to work, it has to work well on the network, and to be able to limit it out and, and provide that network environment for, for the home that's build, being built, um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it also gives them a really good um, base to get into what's gonna be the, the really hot part of um, the whole home automation IoT which is going to be controlling the gateway. So PackEdge has a number of network control products and things that will allow them to start to unify how various devices are managed on multiple networks. So, so with, with what PackEdge already has, they have a way to start building um, IP to, to Zigbee gateways that can securely allow you to get into the home and and not not force you to be reliant on external services, and that's going to be the the big key in that market, because um, uh, as well as what Control4 has already done within apps, they'll be able to to unify. Because I have a lot of home automation stuff, and it drives me crazy to have to switch app to app to app, and um, so. This will give them a chance to become that that unifying presence, glue um, to to bring things together, and will and will really jump them up in that space if, if they play it right. Mm. Um, that being said, even combined, they're they're tiny against some of the the forces that are getting into that space. So even to be acquired, they're going to have to bulk up. A uh, a 30 million dollar company is not a um, attractive acquisition to a Google or an Apple or or some of these companies that are getting in. They want to buy a three or four hundred million dollar company. So even if they're trying to get acquired, they're going to have to to bulk up to really get you know that top dollar company that
0: wants to. To acquire them. Okay, so so hang on for a second because you, you're right. Apple and, and Google both are, are trying to make inroads into the home space. Um, not that either of them is, is are hurting for money. Um, right. So th- they have a, a chance, and, you, and you're right. They're, they're typical, you know, more successful—not more successful company, but but, but more uh, um, market cap companies. That, but could it possibly another company then, if you know, um, I don't know. I'm not going to say Crestron, but, um, you know, Cisco or another uh, networking company capture them, or or does that not make any sense? Uh,
2: No, no, they absolutely could. Um, The big issue, and it was strange because I never really thought about it, but um, um, I've looked at companies uh, and said, gee, that would be a great thing just to acquire into Harman, and um, Harman doesn't want to buy companies that have a twenty million dollar—it's—it's it's a lot of work for a large company to to buy <laughs> a company. So they want to—they want to bring in maximum. And and there are thresholds that—and I don't know where they exist within various things—but um, they don't necessarily suck up smaller companies. And if you're looking at the the mass consumer market, I mean, Control Four. As, as large as it is within the AV thought of the home automation market, in, in the mass consumer market, it, it's still tiny. And so, so I think bulking up and becoming a company with a $100 million valuation actually will make them more attractive uh, um, to, to be bought, as well as they've picked up a significant intellectual property portfolio here um, which is going to make them more attractive for acquisition, if that is what they want to do. Yeah, if that's what they want. But, you
0: know, I, sure. I, Phil and, and Mark both made really good points about the fact that it, it kind of solidifies their network acumen, I think.
2: Well, and it, it has to be, they have to do that because it's bad enough going into a corporate space that has professional discipline. You don't necessarily want to support every every home router and switch set and, and goes because all the customer ever says is that control system doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what are you using? Oh, I'm using this D-Link hub that's been, you know, working flawlessly for the last 18 years.
4: Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's a, I think that's a good point. And with their new, you know, with their new line of, of controllers and things, you know, they're really focusing on streaming, not only streaming music services, but also streaming local collections and things like that. And when you're starting to tout that you stream media through the house, you are going to be able to make sure that the media is streaming properly. And the only way to do that is to have a good network in place. So. Right. Absolutely. And they can just say, you know, if
2: you put in our network, yeah. it's going to work. And, yeah. and it becomes very easy on tech support to say, you know, we'll give you better support
4: if you put in our network switch because we'll understand the end-to-end environment. Yeah, and you could even have drop-down QoS settings per port based on what's at the other end yeah. on that node. Yeah, and you have
2: templates, you have standard ways of doing it, and in the scheme
4: of things, it's
2: not. Chances are, a home automation system is going to buy some level of network anyway, and it becomes a single point of purchase for the the customer, which is, um, you know, always attractive.
0: Integrated Systems Europe is actually just around the corner, uh, about six, eight weeks away. Uh, but one of our most downloaded shows was uh, one that we did live from the show floor at ISE 2016. Adrian, you interviewed a lot of folks this week, and, and me, uh, so thank you very much for that. No uh, right before I got on was, was Mike Blackman, the yes. gentleman that, that runs ISE. And I've heard different numbers. Uh, over the last 24, 28 hours of the attendance of this year, mm-hmm. right? So to put this into context, um, ISE has traditionally, last year was about fifty-nine, sixty thousand, right? I have heard numbers between sixty-five and 66,000 mm-hmm. for this year. If that's true, how remarkable and, and how much has that paid off that fourth day?
6: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't. I, I wonder if the the fourth day's been a tremendous success. That's the first thing to say. Yeah. I, there was a lot of cynicism, I think, about the fourth day, including for myself. I, I probably didn't go that public about the fourth day as much as I would Chinese LED, for example. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> there was certainly a, a number of cynis, a lot of cynicism about the fourth day, whether it was worthwhile doing, um, whether it would just delay the the, the, the traditional last day making the, the last day quiet the next day the last day quiet <clears throat> but that's not really worked out that way I'm, I wonder if the numbers would have gone up even if you didn't have the fourth day the, the fourth day is more about keeping continuity of numbers on each day so every stand that we've spoken to of the size has said that their Wednesday number is the same as their Tuesday number or pretty much the same uh, sorry the Wednesday number and the Thursday number sorry I'm a yeah. mistake so you, you effectively have two middle days right So if you have two middle days your numbers are going to be good but it's spacing people out i think irc was always on an upward curve um i'm not sure you could say that we got an extra five or six thousand people because of the fourth day i think you would have got an extra four four or five thousand people anyway personally i think the fourth day is a brilliant thing i think it's very clever i wasn't a fan of it to start with it's absolutely brilliant because all what the stands have done is they've made their numbers on day three so the Thursday close was when they made the numbers, everything else is additional. And you can see from here, well, the noise, it's actually not quiet. You know, We've no. been on the NEC stand all day and it's been busy. Um, and we've had a lot of extra, a lot of more senior executives who've had more time. They're, they're busy on the Tuesday, they're busy on the Wednesday. Journalists like Clive and I, we can't get hold of the CEOs of some of these big companies. You know, They're out meeting partners and clients, not press. Yeah. So we, we've, had, we've had a lot of opportunities, Thursday afternoon and Friday, to do that. So, I have two minds about the numbers game. You know, you've only
7: got to go to, to through to CES and, and find a fantastic number of people at about oh, ten yeah. o'clock. It's like walking through a triple, <laughs> So you don't want huge hordes of numbers of people just going in there. And it's it's obviously directly to do with, with how much people are paying to be here of the week. So that's where the numbers come in valuably. In, in practical terms, we always thought that the option was to split the week. So you have got the last two days, where you switch your staff over. And start to treat the show quite differently so mm. you've got your core show doing one thing. very good idea get the fresh stuff in thursday friday create an event well, mike was quite right doing that so make he's trying to make friday an interesting day and as you say mm. there are a lot of people here you know it's not exactly empty
0: yeah
7: and, but you do good you do it you do sort of sniff a bit of a different atmosphere yeah. going on so instead of being afraid that no one's going to come you'd be positive and start to plan people will be coming but you need to create a different sort of atmosphere towards the end of the week, so you almost almost splitting it into, into two sorts of events, but it's a business show, you want to see people who are going to be potentially business, business prospects, yeah. and have the space to be able to give them justice, so you don't want the whole place crawling with people, you know, you know numbers are always relative to me, I don't know, it's always been a journalist game of crawling numbers, you know, but there are a lot of people here, because the state of Europe, it's nice to see a potentially busy, active, and you know, pretty
6: positive atmosphere. I think. In I think. A mov- makes a good point. I think moving forward, the exhibitors have to look at it differently. I think I you saw. know. Well, because you know, I sit down because I'm doing what you're doing every day of the week. Yeah. What you do? We're sitting now, not working. I mean, you guys have walked around, and I know. I know George has been walking around. He's been following all his Twitter. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> been, he's, he's been to the far ends of the earth, I think, and he's probably covered ten miles a day or something. Um, people who are standing on their feet all day, the exhibitors have to change the way they're doing the thing. And I think what Clive suggests, you, you turn your, your staff around maybe. You know, it's a long day for, for the poor staff members who stand there on their feet all day. So Absolutely. that's different. We don't have very, very many four-day shows. You know, CES is a big, long show, and you're right, the numbers are bonkers, and they just it let students treacle. in and Absolutely. whatever. So what
7: I, we should do is have fewer people because we can all go up and down the aisles in segues. <laughs> it's this guy in Mayer's I've been so close to nicking his Segway halfway through. I thought, you do not deserve it. I, I need that Segway. What well, did you not? I off? want to put a video guy in the Segway, popping <laughs> up and down. We did, we did it <laughs> in of them, but I came so dangerously close to This poor man not coming out to the toilet and having his Segway nicked. I could just see myself coming out with some mad cartoonist <laughs> on this segue up and down the aisles. I've just been loving it. But the number will there, be yeah.
6: sixty-five, sixty-six thousand. Yeah. yeah. There were sixty five uh, we interviewed the CEO of Infracon, you know him better I, David Labuskus yesterday. Yeah. And he said there were sixty five thousand pre registered. Oh, wow. Mike hinted in the keynote this morning, Dr. Kako's keynote, that there was sixty five to sixty six thousand. So the number will be just a little bit north of that. If they get any more than sixty six and a half thousand, I would be surprised. But it's a great European success story. It is. You know, it's, but it's It's an international event, and Infocom International should be pleased with themselves with the way they put it on. Very pleased with Mike Blackman. I mean, he's done a tremendous job of turning a show that was 2,800 people in year one, back in 2004, 2005, you know, up to what it is now. It's a tremendous success story, really, really, really good. You know, I I have to say though, in all of that conversation, it is an interesting mix
3: of the residential and the commercial, and my suspicions last year were that it wasn't going to work, but it does really work well. I found myself knowing where I needed to go and knowing how I found the information. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a surprise to see a commercial in the space that I saw a residential yeah. where it was. Yeah. It really did work yeah. out well. The
6: scary thing is when I, I interviewed Tim earlier this afternoon, or lunchtime today, and it's surprising to think that it's the first time that you guys, the AV Nation crew, came last year. Mm-hmm. You know, you've actually opened up this show to a whole new American audience. You know, however much I write about it, however much Clive writes about it, however much Gary Kay writes about it, you guys are probably the most influential people in North America, in both residential and professional. So you have opened it up to a new audience. You well, know, and I said to Mike Blackman, off air, unfortunately, you probably can't use this in any, uh, correct, that, you know, it's great to have you here because more Americans will come in. I keep asking people, if you're an exhibitor, if you're a global supplier, you've got to come here. And who was it who said there was, I can't think who it was, somebody once today said, that what they're now seeing, I think it might have been you, said that, uh, it was you, that you're gonna see the whisper suites in Orlando or Las Vegas at Infocom in June, you get the things behind the closed doors, they play around with them, they show them in secret, and then they get launched during the beginning of the year. You said that, I know you definitely said that. Well, there, there and was, I think that's yeah, really gonna happen. We had we had one specific product that we know for a fact that's what happened,
0: right? Um, uh, a couple of our guys, Matt Scott and uh, Harry Mead, ran across a microphone that they were like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing, and they started tweeting about it, and we got responses from some of our our listeners that had seen Mm -hmm. that exact thing. Again, behind NDA, behind Mm -hmm. uh, the the Whisper Suite uh, back in Orlando last year at Ippocom. So you're right, that is what's exactly going on. And you're very kind, we are not the most
6: influential people in in North America. Maybe the second. I think you are because you're the doers. Because well, you'd, you so. you'd actually do it rather than just talk about it. So uh, one of the interesting problems, and it'll be interesting from here, Clive's perspective on it, is if I was if I was in startup and I was launching a product in this space, would I choose a show such as this to launch it? You sort you sort of think yes because that's the audience, but how do you get mind share? You know, you've got 65,000 people. Clive said that maybe they're not all business prospects. No. You know, you've got all this stuff. How do you actually make something special when you launch? You know, we, we've been doing some work for a couple of startups in, uh, in the projector space. And they've been looking at things like uh, Comic Con, which actually, I, I know that Chris is watching this now, it was Chris Neto's idea. You know, if I was launching a new product into this sort of space, I would do something completely bonkers. Yeah. You know, Comic Con is the bonkers thing. Um, and I know he's done various things there with your thing. H- how would you get mindshare with that if you launched it? It's very, very difficult to do. because it is. You're competing against the Samsung, the LGs, the Panza,
7: and all the people from your world. So you, it's difficult to stand out in a big show like this. So if you're going to go on someone's show, I mean, we've you know, I've seen a sort of fantastic product from Stream TV Networks, which is audio, or, or auto stereo, stereo, stereo. stereo. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's all right. It's, it's a Friday. It is. And, uh, and you've I been here my, for four days. Uh, thank you. And it's, it's, a, it's like the older Phyllis Eindhoven unit, which is a fantastic bunch of, 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 of technicians who were bought by... It. Anyway, they've come out with this fantastic rendering engine and algorithm that, that, that really sort of transforms it digital signage turns into 3D. It's the best example of that I've seen. Mm-hmm. I will make 4K screens and zoom out of shops probably. Look, it's OEM level but you know, looking at uh, retail and, and gaming mm-hmm. and digital signage. That sort of thing st- stuck out, but as a new product, it will fly. Yeah. But who noticed it? I yeah. came across it, went in there, had a look at them. But you know, you, you are a bit of yeah. a unless you're on someone's back, you know, back of the stand, or you. It's an expensive show to be at because you know, for a small startup, you have yeah. to be carried by someone else. And that, by by
0: that definition, yeah. you will already have been spotted right. to do that.
7: Well, so and the I fourth don't know. day's
6: already made it more expensive. Well, so. and here's the
0: thing, though. We we, we have a, a young man who um, he is a startup, right? He's a, he's a programmer out of Germany. Has a neat little product. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in it. It's programming, you know, it's programming made simple. And I called him like a, you know, a week and a half, two weeks ago, and said, Are, are you coming? You know, just out of curiosity, because he had, he had exhibited at had InfoComm's mm-hmm. uh, Innovation Showcase, he had, had done it yeah. at Cedia. And he said, They have, in ISC had a number of smaller booths that were priced for the startups. Right. Right? Now, they don't have a rookie row. like like Cedia does. They don't have an innovation showcase yet like Infocom does. But according to him, the the price was was right enough for a small startup, it's just he and his Mm -hmm. wife, to come show their wares, interface with people, network with with other people, and show exactly what's possible out there, right? Because these are the folks who are innovating. Yes, the big, the big players are absolutely innovating because they've got the engineering power behind them. But it, it's the guys and gals who are in their, in their garages mm-hmm. um, you know, coming up with the, the that next thing that's actually really kind of exciting.
7: It's in the old days, when I was dating which computer in the 80s, we, we had all kinds of innovation that they came to us with. And we were able to follow a product from conception, almost design, before it became launched. And we, we positively encouraged interaction. Now we don't have any time to do that all resources. You do wonder where the the outlets are but there are mm. very few and far between you know how they get through i don't know So i watch university labs and so on, but there there is, a, there is a shortage of of institutional organizations that that create interest in developing projects and it's difficult it's very frustrating for me to try and look where the next innovation is coming i'm always looking and it's difficult to see where they're coming from so it's it's a, i don't think uh, a particular solution is going to come from any one show but i think it's a whole system of how you develop and Exhibiting get investors is perhaps something ought to look at, is not that Well, know.
3: isn't that, that not part what Day4 is for? I know i found a bunch of other people from some other trade organizations or other periodicals on today were doing the search, they did the required, they did the stuff they needed to do, and now they're going, what can I find? So Day4 really has become the research, you know, search and destroy mission of what can I find that's interesting? You know, you said about the small startup. Part of that's here. This is technically called the Discover Center. So okay. it's Sort of like the innovation. I mean, these you now and some of these are uh, stands that we have seen at InfoComm. Mm-hmm. Some of these guys we saw at the Innovation Showcase. Yep. Uh, you know, buy it. You buy a T. Go get it. And, and AdGen and all those kind of guys bar from there so it's right. sort of there but yeah. yes you're right that splash need, is very hard to make when you've you got need a day for treasure hunt or something yeah and day yeah. four is sort of treasure yeah. hunters. Oh, well that's good See, I mean, maybe they could well
6: that's an that idea so you know Mike Blackman has worked really hard at figuring out what we can do on Fridays with the CEO stuff the exclusive stuff Dr. Yeah. Kako's keynote today free parking woohoo for me 17 euro, 17 euro 50 saved um, so he's looking for things like that. that's actually not a bad idea to do something like that to make that Friday a bit special he hinted today that um, you know he he his, tr- his trouble, when I interviewed him today, his, tr- his problem is, he's raised the bar so high. How do you top that? Mm-hmm. You know, do you go more visitors? You know, does that help, as Clive says? You know, you can't have any more days at the moment. You know, he puts more events on. He no, wants but- to do a good keynote next year, but I mean, Dr. Kaka was brilliant. I mean, it's like, the bar is very high. So I think you need some innovation. And I, I said to a couple of my interview, people I interviewed, uh, journalists I interviewed, yes. I, think- I think they're the people that my black should listen to, you know, i.e. I- us. Um, Not not, just us, but you know what I mean? Because we see it from the outside, from a completely different perspective. Your job really is to find the next big thing. That's what you love. You're passionate about the whole thing. You love doing that. so those ideas would be great on a, for a Friday. To do a, I mean, seriously, a treasure hunt, or a, you know, the Discover Day, or an incubation startup yeah, day, yeah, or a, showcase day. He you know. keynote speaker who comes to the innovation yeah. and talks about yeah. the new innovations, yeah. and then they'll draw yeah. to these people. I'd like to have them all come to one place. I mean, some of the best press release stuff is when you know you get a bunch of journalists and people come in and have ten minutes to present to you. Yeah, how yeah, much right. easier would that help, Clive? Yeah. You wouldn't need a segue, would it? It wouldn't. You know? <laughs> Bring fifty I, people to Clive. Not, the not mountains least, a significant, significant yeah, business
0: deal, creating one of the biggest integration firms in the U.S. Diversified is acquiring, or has acquired, technical innovation. And this is from uh, TVTechnology.com. Another one of the stories is from uh, our buddies over Commercial Integrator. Inside a mega merger, how and why $215 million diversified acquired $180 million uh, technical innovation. Uh, One of the emails I got uh, from an integrator friend of mine said that this merger could very well be the biggest quote-unquote, um, the biggest uh, um, integrator from a, uh, from a sales perspective, in other words, the most sales, in the U.S. Um, now, yes, AVI-SPL AVI is the big kahuna, but AVI-SPL has, they, they have other offices outside the U.S. actually met, um, uh, uh, talked with, uh, with, with their U.K. office over at ISE and, and did a, an interview there. So, uh, George, we'll start with you on this one. What does this mean for integrators, Um kind of the small folks and and the medium-sized folks when you have a deal like this going through
3: Well, I think we're still in a stage where a lot of those medium-sized companies are starting to merge Um where you can you will I think you get market share you get pricing opportunities And you get to be the guy on the block that everybody knows and you do the work Um it's going to be harder to be a mom-and-pop just like when the walmarts and the chain stores come into town you're going to have to find a way to be very niche and perhaps diversify just a bit more. That's All
0: the right. way I see it, really. Uh,
5: right.
0: uh, Matt, you guys don't have uh, huge acquisitions like this in in general uh, in Canada, but from from a standpoint of of watching this from from kind of the outside, just north, what does this do anything for you guys in in your business?
8: Not directly in our business. The <clears throat> You know, being a smaller integrator, we always would approach this type of conversation, uh, especially with a client. Of you know, they're a big firm. Yeah, they've got a bunch of offices. Yeah, but we're your local guys on the ground. We're the guys that are going to help you anytime. You're not going to call a one eight hundred number. Um, that would be kind of our approach in, in dealing with it. And then as far as just seeing this happen in the industry, I I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's good. Um, you know, Good green. for who, though? Good for them. Okay. It's an honest question. Yeah, it's not necessarily bad for the industry in general, other than the fact that, you know, as soon as you get the conglomerates, it just makes it harder for everybody else uh, to combat and, and, and go toe to toe with these guys. But to be honest, at the end of the day, I don't know if it really matters. It's just another integrator. It's just, you just have another big massive integrator that is going to sell things based on their size and their scope and the fact that they have 47 offices in 47 states. No one, like, that doesn't care, or that doesn't carry any weight unless you need an integrator in those 47 states and you want it to be the same across the board. And that's, that's where I see these big firms being effective, but... What now we're gonna see AVI SPL go up against I don't even I am sure I read it But I don't call them diversified Are they sticking with just diversified? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they're gonna go up like does it does that really affect most of us Unless we're in one of those two slash three companies
0: Yeah, probably not Uh, Gina from a manufacturer standpoint, I've always been curious about this when it when when big mergers like this happen um, kind of like the the opposite side of when when uh, Control Four bought Pack Edge a few weeks ago, right? You're going to have Pack Edge dealers, you're going to have Control Four dealers, and, and it'd be interesting to see how the, the two kind of meet. When you have big integrators like this, my expectation is that on some level they're at least interfacing with FSR, and they're they're some one of the two of them. I'm almost certain is purchasing from FSR, right? So when when you do that, how do you guys approach? big companies like that, right? I'm not asking you about specifically, you know, um, diversified, but maybe, you know, AVI SPL or, or some of the the, the medium to, to large companies. How do you guys approach them when it comes to servicing them and making sure that, that they're taken care of?
9: So, um I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that. What we see is that we're going to have to learn what the new culture of that company is going to be. Do they allow the individual offices to make decisions, or is everything run through a headquarters? Um, who was a loyal FSR uh, dealer before this, and, and um, you know, can we continue to keep up those relationships? you know, with with AVISPL, there's a lot of autonomy in the regional offices, and we can go and we can see from a manufacturer standpoint, um, a number of different people throughout the country, and some of them will say, you know, yeah, absolutely, we have some projects that are going on, and... and we have FSR specified, and there are others that say, you know, we don't have as much autonomy as somebody else, so we have to go through HQ for that, and then we'll talk to uh, people in HQ. But I think what's going to happen, and especially since Diversified is right in our backyard in Kenilworth, New Jersey, um, it's really only, I don't know, 25 minutes from the office. So they they were um, and still are very, very friendly FSR dealers. And um, it'll be interesting to see if the culture within the company actually changes based on these acquisitions. I know that the technical innovations is going to be kind of morphed into Diversified. And if that's the case, are there going to be hiccups along the way? For sure, I I think the answer is. Um, But does that change? The way the employees, the employee power, um, the way they they purchase, the way they uh, work on projects, and uh, you know, it'd be it'd be interesting to see.
0: No, yeah, it definitely will be. Uh, Mr. Mead, there you, you you work in and around D.C. with a lot of different companies, both big and small. Um, same kind of question to to you as to Matt. What does this do to? Um, the medium and the and the and the not the obviously ginormous companies but the medium to to big companies that are t- are used to going up against you know uh, you know the, the the big boys and, and girls in, in the block
10: uh pretty much we uh i mean for, for me it means that there's going to be less uh, of the big bid work hmm. that's going get that's going to get eaten up by them because they have the resources that can sit there and bid it and and go through and do all the specs and everything else. Um, so it means that for us, I think it, it means that we get much more boutique and much more service oriented and setting ourselves apart that way, as opposed to you're dealing with megalith XYZ, you're dealing with little guys who are, who are actually able to give you the response time that you're looking for and the person more personal touch that you're looking for.
0: Yeah, it's a really.
9: Tim, can I ask a question really quick? Sure. Because I'm I'm curious about that. I was kind of thinking about that myself, and and my question is, you know, obviously small companies have a. A reputation to be able to move quicker right they they're able to move quicker for their clients is this going to affect the way that clients um or end users see the av industry if if a if a big company like an avi spl or a diversified technical innovations will end up coming in and doing a job for you and they're not necessarily able to be as as uh, spry or limber as um you know some a, a smaller company is that going to affect the way the AV industry is portrayed to others in the future. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that.
10: Yeah. Uh, I don't know it, if it – sorry, go ahead, Hurt. I was going to say uh, a, couple of, a couple of things on that. Um, we actually have gotten subcontracted before to run service for some of these bigger guys. So we end up being the local service contact for uh, for their customers. And uh, But two, yeah – I've made a career of picking up after the big guys.
0: <laughs> and that's well, actually not a bad career
10: advice either.
8: No, no. There's, and there's something to be said for, you know, when you look at this application from the end user standpoint, there's something to be said for the client or the end user being happy with, you know, either buying local and supporting that local non-massive monopoly company. That's why you know Ace Hardware and Home Hardware and all those little companies still exist, even though Home Depot is on you know every or in every major town. Um, but just as just as Harry said, you know we get contracted as well for a fairly large integrator out of Dallas, and we do a ton of IT work both locally and in Toronto. Uh, for this huge integrator out of Dallas that doesn't – they don't have anyone on the ground um, up in Canada. So they contract companies like myself and, and others to do that kind of work. It I think the long and short view for the, the end user will come down to the fact of as long as they're maintaining what they determine to be an acceptable level of service and support, they probably won't really care whether – You know, for whether Avi and um, diversified merge again and become an even bigger company, It, it won't matter to them in the long run. Because as much as you know, we we love our industry and we like to think our industry is huge in in the grand scheme of things and for the general consumer, they don't really care. They just want their boardroom to work.
0: Yeah. That's all for us here. You know what? Thank you so much. Thank you so much uh, for for making us uh, who we are. Uh, Aviation is nothing without our audience and without the people that make it happen. Uh, Everybody from our producers, our hosts, uh, the people that help us make Aviation what it is. So thank you so much. We've got some more changes coming on, some things that we hope will will serve you better. Uh, So check us out. Uh, A new website is coming along and should be posting sometime in January. We'll keep you up to date on that. So, from everybody here at AV Nation, happy holidays, happy new year. Uh, for more information about us, you can check us out at avianation.tv. Aviation.tv, thank you so much for listening. It's all the time we have for AV Week.